0: it is good to see you guys you guys find yourself wearing a mask and you don't even realize it you know oh my goodness let me get this thing off it is good to see you guys here good to have you oh my goodness okay there we go finally yes that's good and uh it is good to see you online thank you for being here this this was a brand new song that we were singing today called graves into gardens and i know that that was a blessing to you Uh, Man, I was just sitting over there singing at the top of my lungs, and thank the Lord my microphone was off. So uh, everybody got to still enjoy the song. That is good stuff. And man, God is the way maker. He is the one who can do all things. There is nothing that is impossible with God, and He is the one who turns graves into gardens. Amen. Great stuff. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. We are off and running, and uh, and we're on this passage of Scripture. Today, this is going to be a really important, this is the pivotal uh, time in Elijah's life, and I think it's going to be a blessing to you. It is when Elijah has his biggest moment, and he comes up big in his biggest moment, which all of us would love to be able to say that we are always able to do. Today, as we continue in this great life, series that comes from the book that is written by Chuck Swindoll which is called Elijah you can continue to get that and I encourage you that any of these books that you see on your screen right now are amazing books they will definitely help you to go deeper in God's Word if you haven't uh, taken the time to order this book or to read this book or even if you feel like you know what I would like to get online get that Kindle edition and catch up. You can still catch up. It's about five or six chapters that we've covered and been, been preaching through over the last couple of weeks, and there are still a handful of weeks. I think next week is going to be a huge blessing to you. I think today, actually, you know what? I think all of them are going to be a blessing to you. Just keep coming back and keep showing up and keep being a part of these things. Uh, I believe they will all instruct us and hit us squarely where we live. This week, uh, our message title is going to be up here on the screen, and you can. Can see it today is i've seen fire and i've seen rain i have no idea if any of you guys get that reference a handful of y'all are old enough to remember james taylor the song called i've seen fire and i've seen rain that's what it comes from and then next week i'm going to talk a little bit about a broken man with a bigger vision and as you know i've been talking about this um, character of elijah and we have titled it elijah bold and broken this week we're going to see the bold I'm telling you we've already seen some of that but this week we are certainly going to see the bold but next week we're going to see the broken and I want to make sure that you understand that Elijah is very clearly a man just like we are as a matter of fact in James chapter 5 you can even read those exact words from God's Word as he describes Elijah to us he says Elijah was a man just like we are because I think God is warning us that sometimes in our uh, haste or in our worship of somebody else's uh, good things and good qualities that we wish we had more of, we have a tendency to put people up on a pedestal. But God's word is very, very clear that Elijah was a man just like we are. So we can't lose sight of that fact that Elijah did things that God is able to do through us as well if we are willing. And this week you will see some things that you would go, "Man, I could never do that in a thousand years." The truth is, is that you don't have to, but you do, and I do need to allow God to move in us in ways that we cannot believe would be something that would be partnering with us, if you'll allow me to put it that way. And what. What a great song to sing just before we began this lesson talking about graves into gardens he's the only one who can do these things through us because we are not worthy and we are definitely not sufficient in and of ourselves this week i'm going to be talking from 1 kings 18 as i mentioned a minute ago and i'm going to be doing that a little differently than i usually do and that is, is instead of one of the gentlemen that comes before me uh, reading that passage of Scripture, I'm going to read pieces and parts and talk about each one kind of in its own little section. So please leave your Bible open. Please stay there. Make sure your Bible app is open to that as we kind of continue to go through First Kings 18. And you will learn some things and read along with me. I'm going to tell a little bit of the story and... Please just understand, as I often say, this is the New Texas version. I'm not gonna have each and every part of it, specifically word for word what your Bible says, but it's the general idea and it should be very accurate. Don't get me wrong on that either. But I am gonna go back and look at certain passages of scripture and we're gonna have them on the screen so you can see word for word what God's word is telling us and talking to us about. And today, let's begin. Let's begin with this first reading that's going to be up here on the screen. And it begins as Ahab sees Elijah. And he says to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands. You have followed the Baals now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table that's from 18 chapter uh, chapter 18 verse 17 through 19 now let me very be very clear let's go back and see where we've been so we get a very clear picture of this Elijah came on the scene and burst onto the scene and said, By the word of God, I'm telling you that there will not be rain nor dew these years until I say so and God allows. And then off the scene he goes. He goes to the brook and that's where the ravens begin to take care of him. And so you can see we've got kind of the theme of the raven behind every one of our slides that we share. But then he also stays with the brook. Until it dries up, and then he moves to the widow's house and goes there, and the oil and the and the um, flour does not dry up, and he is able to be provided for the entire time of the famine as it spreads throughout Israel. And so, it is so important and so necessary that we grasp what's going on. The Bible tells us in that passage in James chapter five that I mentioned. That there are three and a half years that pass before rain comes back and finds Israel. And if that is true, let's be very clear. We've never seen a drought like that. Uh, I don't think most of us. But the truth is, is that these droughts happen, and when they do, it is usually a loss of life, especially for back then when there were not modern irrigation systems and modern water systems and things of that nature. And so because of all the technology that they did not have, when a a land went without rain for three and a half years, it meant death of animals and livestock, which are kind of the way that you provide for yourself and for your family, but it probably also meant the loss of human life as well we can't lose sight of that and not grasp exactly how important it is when Elijah comes back on the scene at the word of God and as we read just a moment ago as he comes back onto the scene and as he shows himself once more in the process of all of that, we see that the very first thing that King Ahab, who has led Israel away from God, the very first thing he says is, oh, good, it's the guy who's the problem here. It's the guy who's behind all the issues and you know, struggles that we're having here in Israel. And it's very clear that Elijah ain't having it. He's like, hold on just a second. I want to be very clear about something. I said no rain, but the reason that God said that there would be no rain was because you and your father's house and all the houses before that that allowed you to be king have brought us to a place where God is no longer our God. We have ashtoreths everywhere. We have poles that people worship by. We have spreading trees that people are worshiping under. We worship the Baal, who is supposedly the god of the, of the rain and the crops and fertility and all of these things. But he hasn't provided, now has he? But no, I'm not the problem here. The problem is you. So don't lose sight and don't get it twisted, King Ahab. And he's not going to allow King Ahab to say, you are the problem. Now, I want to just stop for just a quick second. And I want to make sure that we grasp something about human nature. And this is incredibly instructive for you and for me. So everybody check in here. Make sure that you grasp this. When problems find us, God has our attention as never before. But there is one major thing that is the off-ramp where you will not learn the lesson that God is leading you to learn. And that is this. Blame somebody else for the problem that you're in instead of looking for your part and what God is teaching you in the midst of it. As King Ahab sees Elijah walk up, he says, it's the troubler of Israel, it's the guy who's the root cause of all the problems. Elijah says, no, 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 no. You are the problem here, Ahab, don't get it twisted. And I'm here to tell you, in you and in me, there is something that rises up and says, we wanna blame somebody else, even if we're the ones to blame. And if we do that, we're able to let ourselves off the hook. But here's the problem. We have the same cycle over and over and over in our lives because we think it's somebody else's fault. And then the next time that we find ourselves in the same problem, guess what? We find a new person to blame. Sometimes we blame those that are closest to us. It's our wife's fault. It's our husbands' fault. It's our kids' fault. It's our boss's fault. It's everybody's fault, but never our fault. And so because of that, we stay in the place where God cannot get a hold of us and use us in the way that he wants, us to, use, wants to use us. And so I'm going to encourage you and me both before we even get started to look within and say, you know what? If there's a problem in my life, I want to be tuned into what God is saying that He can teach me in the midst of this problem. And I don't know about you, but man, the more that I think about 2020, it is a mess, am I right? I mean, man, can I get an amen? 2020 is just a jacked up mess, amen, right? I don't know if that's spiritual language jacked up mess, but that's how I feel about it. Probably you do too. I can't figure out what's going on, but here's what I do know. I do know that God is in control and I do know that God wants our attention. That at the midst of the problem and at the height of the, the uncertainty, God wants our attention to be focused on Him first and foremost. And let me just say this it may be that god wants all of the world's attention because this is a worldwide pandemic this isn't just a united states thing this isn't just a european or an asian or an african or south american and north american thing this is a full-fledged global pandemic and maybe the lord is kind of knocking on our door and saying hey hey world hey mankind how's it working out for you you thought you had it all figured out and didn't need me maybe You should turn to me and allow me to heal your land and heal your hearts in the process. I'm not saying that this thing that is happening is God's reason, uh, that it's God's fault or anything. So be very clear. But in the midst of a difficult time, we have that opportunity to turn to God as never before. I hope you understand. I hope you're not like lazy mentally and kind of checking out and say, oh, Randy said God caused the global pandemic. So I guess that's what happened. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in the midst of a global pandemic maybe God has got our attention as never before and I know anytime God gets my attention that is always a good thing. Can I get an amen on that? Can I get an amen on the chat you guys? Uh, I don't know if you guys can type an amen in there but let's hear from you because we do want to know about you. So here's what we see. We see that we don't want to miss this thing that is going on. We'll get there in just a quick second but let's revisit where we are. Elijah has said here's what I want I want a showdown I want the the people from sitting near Jezebel's table who are the prophets of Ashtoreth I want the prophets of Baal and I want them all to meet me on Mount Carmel and we're gonna decide this thing today who is really God and who is not God and we're gonna figure this out and don't miss this here this is what I want to make sure that you don't miss after Solomon Israel was divided into two separate nations and Judah and Israel were two different nations but the nation of Israel had 19 kings over its 200 years and all 19 of them were evil and in this situation, as King Ahab comes to power and as he rules and Elijah speaks to him, it's at least 55 years of the nation of Israel, which was birthed out of God, leading them out of um, Egypt and into the promised land. He, they have turned their back on him for at least 55 years going in the opposite direction of God. Now, here's what I want you to know and I want you to grasp. Not all faiths are the same. I know that when we talk about faith traditions and we talk about faiths and those different ones that we have in our world, we think that it's important for us to be accepting and, and, oh, all faiths are the same. They're all the same road leading us to the same direction. And I'm here to tell you that I don't believe that that's true. Now, I want you to hear me. And again, I can't, I can't have you being lazy. I need you to tune in and make sure that you're focusing on what's going on. In this particular situation, as we see the Baals and the Ashtoreths that they are worshiping in Israel, let's be very crystal clear that they are not the same as worshiping the living God. I think it's important for us to look at these different faiths and put them through a little bit of a criteria check to make sure that we say that faith is one that I want to follow. And here's what I think we should ask ourselves. It's just this simple. As you look at this next slide here on the screen, you'll see there are things about chosen faiths that as we see them, we can learn them and go on. So about your chosen faith, how does a full commitment to the actual principles of your chosen faith affect your own life? How does it affect your family and their life? How does it affect the entire world, not just the one that is around you very close in your family and your own self? And what about the least of these? Does your religion, does your faith benefit the least of these, those who are the marginalized and who are on the edges of society? Do they have a place in your faith? Because the truth of the matter is is that there are a lot of faiths, even today, that are accepted that marginalize different people groups, they marginalize different sexes, they marginalize different parts of the world that are not their own. And so as we begin to kind of put things through that kind of filter, we see, especially in this case that following the Baals and the Ashtoreths is not the same as following God. And I want you to make sure and hear that that is important that we grasp. So let's go on and figure this out as we look at the the faith of our fathers, the, the Christian faith that we follow. The Christian faith that we follow has inspired incredible change in the world. And I want to make sure that you grasp what's going on as you begin to see some of the different pictures and some of the different images from the scriptures. You see Daniel in the lion's den, a man who is willing to face death all because he knew that God would be with him. How is, he possi- how is it possible to stand up against that kind of fear and come through in, in the pinch? Daniel did it because he knew that God was with him no matter where he, go- where he went and where he would go. What about Queen Esther? The one who said, I'm gonna go before the king, and if I perish, I perish, but I'm gonna stand up for my faith, I'm gonna stand up for others, I'm gonna stand up for the Jews even though I could live without them being saved. She went outside of herself. Why did she do that? Because God had a hold of her heart and she wasn't just in it for herself. This is so important. and so vital because there are many faiths that are today that are out there today that are all about what can I gain and full commitment to those things benefits me. Maybe benefits my family, but the entire world can deal with themselves because I've got other things that are more important, namely me. And so we've got to be very careful that we don't put these on the same level when they are not. What about Harriet Tubman? Think about in the modern days, we talked about those Bible characters, but what about the people in our own continent, in our own nation? Harriet Tubman saved 70, 75, 80 people, maybe even as many as 130 people at great risk to herself, three, four, five people at a time. Why did she do that? Because she believed that she had been called of God to go and benefit people. When she had freed herself from slavery, she turned around and came back and said, I'm not gonna allow other people to remain in slavery. How do you get that kind of faith? How do you get that kind of courage? It comes from being close to the Lord and saying, my faith says it's more than just simply about me and my comfort. And what about Mother Teresa, who went and she served the least of these in the uh, Calcutta in India, where she went and said, you know what, I am going to go and serve those people that are not even being cared for at all. And she began hospice. Those people who were about to die, she went and sat with them and cared for them in the last days of their life. Why did she go? Because she had a faith that compelled her. And so it is so important that you understand that as we see what Elijah is doing, doing and calling for this line and calling for a difficult thing to happen in a little bit that you'll see as you follow. It is about this chosen religion being different than the one that the Baals were offering. Let's go to this next slide and look at these things. Here's what I mean. The full commitment to the actual principles of your chosen faith. How do they affect that? Let's go back to something to learn. So you and I make sure we grasp Exactly what Elijah is saying. You've got to walk away from this. This is the very first thing that I want you to make sure and learn. Baal's followers sacrifice their children, usually the firstborn in a tribe, to gain personal prosperity. Now, let me just tell you something. I want you to know that if your religion calls for you to sacrifice children so that you can prosper, it's not okay. All right, I mean, can I get an amen, right? I mean, that's not the same type of religion as we are talking about. The Lord says to love and honor and cherish and that children are an inheritance from the Lord. Baal said they're something that you can sacrifice to get your own good. And if that is what you believe, you can't tell me that those are the same kind of religions, that one is an incredibly harmful in your mentality versus one that raises your mentality. Here's what we know in this, about these different chosen religions. Oh, let me, Stay right there for just one second, if you don't mind. Asherah or Ashtoreth, it's the same uh, goddess, just different names. She was both Baal's mother as well as his mistress. Now, I'm not going to go too far down this road because I have a feeling there are children listening, but... I mean just think about how twisted and how weird and strange the the worship of that particular goddess was all right be very clear incest is not okay it is something that warps people in every way and will undermine a culture in like termites in a building I mean it is an incredibly harmful Mindset, and yet that's exactly what was going on in the nation of Israel. They were sacrificing their children to gain personal prosperity. They were uh, you know, involved in this idea where incest was okay, and if you lived up to what the God was doing, you would be sleeping with a family member, maybe even your own mother. It's a pretty twisted situation by anyone's standards, and to say that it was okay to do those things just as easily as it was to follow the God of Israel, It's twisted and it's wrong, and we need to call it out for what it is. That's not correct. Amen? And so as we look at this, we need to understand, as we look about these chosen religions and these chosen uh, mindsets and worldviews, we go back to that and we see those different questions. But if you look at it in this situation, you'd be disloyal two times over. You know, when it comes to your own life, you'd be disloyal to your family, and you'd also be being disloyal to the God who created your nation in the entirety of it all Israel became a nation because of God Then, what about the drought I mean how's it working out for you you're worshiping the God of rain and the crops and fertility and yet everything's dying and drying up around you how's that working out for you maybe you should turn to the God who said I am the God of the heavens or what about your chosen faith you know killing your family life with infidelity and incest? Or what about the entire world being under the thumb of sexism and women being nothing but sexual objects and the hierarchy of men staying in place? Or what about the least of these, these children that were being sacrificed because I want personal prosperity so my child has to die for that to happen? Why are all these things acceptable? They're just simply not. And so when Elijah steps onto the scene and says, enough is enough is enough. We've been going down this road and it's taken us away from God. It's undermining all of our country and all of the things that God has provided for us. We've got to grasp what is happening. And let me just be very clear. When we tell you and when we talk about the big idea today, this is it. We're going to go all the way back to the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. And what is commandment number one? You shall have no other gods before me. If you and I are followers of God, we have no other gods to follow. We have one true God and one true God alone. And when Elijah steps onto the scene and says, I'm here and I am representative of what God wants, he wants his people to return to him. Now, very quickly, if you're reading along, and you might have even heard this, there were 450 prophets of Baal. There were 400 prophets of Ashtoreth. There could have been a little bit of bleed over because they were kind of all in the same family of deities. But there could have been as many as 800 people that were there as prophets up against one man, and that was Elijah. So let's be very clear, as you look at Mount Carmel, you might have in your mind an image of a mountain that's kind of shaped like this. And how do you get 800 people plus, you know, the nation of Israel on the top? I want to show you, this is actually a picture of Mount Carmel. It's it's kind of a long mesa and you can fit lots and lots of people up on top. And this is the modern day picture of Mount Carmel where the showdown takes place. There between Elijah and those prophets and Mount Carmel is not a summit and you can even see a picture of it on Google Earth. You can kind of check that out. It is basically right there near Nazareth. You see where Jesus uh, was raised there, but it's also just a handful of miles away from uh, the the Mediterranean there, as we see. And so as we keep going and we find out what's happening, Elijah says, we're going to go and have a showdown on the top of Mount Carmel. And as he asks everybody to come, he says, we're going to have a showdown. And this is what he says in this second part that I want to read to you word for word. So Ahab sent word throughout Israel, assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel, and Elijah went before the people and said these words. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now, I just want to tell you guys that next week as we talk a little bit, I want you to remember this. This is a little bit of foreshadowing about what something is very different than what was just said. We're going to find that out. But if you go and visit Mount Carmel today, this is the thing that you will see. If you look and see this big, huge statue that is there on Mount Carmel that is Elijah there and that is what Mount Carmel is most famous for but as you look at the title slide I'm here to remind you that it is Elijah bold yes but also broken be here next week as we talk about in the aftermath and in the backwash of one of the greatest victories a man could ever have the brokenness of Elijah is seen and what that means but let's talk about his boldness this week and give him the, the, the time and the limelight, so to speak, as we see what's happening for him. And here's what we know. He is a man who faces incredible odds. 450 prophets of Baal, probably at least a couple hundred Ashtoreth prophets by themselves. So probably somewhere between five and 800 people versus one man. But Elijah stands boldly, and he even goes so far as to being cocky. And you'll see a little bit about that as we go along in this reading. And so let's be reminded of what I shared with you a week or two ago about what Nelson Mandela said. And he said these words. He said, I learned courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but the one who conquers that fear. And I want to be very clear about something. If you are a person who does not ever feel any fear whenever you are standing up for God, it's probably one or two things. A, you're not human, or B, you're not trying hard enough. (laughs) And so here's what I mean. For most of us, we're going to feel fear when we get out of our comfort zone. And if we're only staying within our comfort zone, we're never putting ourselves out there where we've got to stand on our own and the only way that we can win is if God shows up in a big way. Well, if that's not true of you, you might be trying only the smallest things and not having any kind of God-sized vision, God-sized dream, God-sized change happening in your family, in your workplace, in your community, whatever it might be. But if you're human, you're going to feel fear And you have to keep moving and you have to keep going in the midst of that fear rather than allowing it to shut you down. So very quickly, here's another something to learn. As Elijah welcomes all of them up onto the top of Mount Carmel, he has a proposition. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take an ox and build two different altars. You're going to have an ox and you have your own altar. I'm going to have an ox and we're going to have my own altar. And then here's what we're gonna do we're gonna put the ox on the altar and then we're both going to have a prayer time we're gonna have a prayer service okay and so you and all of your 450 prophets of Baal and all the other Ashtoreth prophets as well y'all start praying and ask that Baal would show up by fire and consume that sacrifice now here's what we don't know Not in modern times anyway, but if you saw old images and statues and pictures of Baal, you might have seen him with a lightning bolt above his head in his hand. And so in other words, whenever Elijah says, the prophet is going to pray and we want the God to answer by fire. They're like, cool, man, no problem at all. Because after all, we know Baal, he's got lightning in his fist so he can throw it down and he can turn something that is not on fire on you know, on fire quickly. It's easy for him. This is just right. And it is so interesting that Elijah is challenging them in their very own home court. He's been saying, whenever he said, there's no rain, he was there talking to them who were worshiping the, prophet, uh, the prophets and, and the God of fertility, rain, and crops, and none of it had happened. And now he's saying, and I'm going to make a, an altar and put an ox on there, and then we want to see a God who answers by fire. And when that happens, we'll know who the real God is. And they're like, cool, because he's also not just the God of prof, you know, crops and rain and all these things, but he can also answer by fire. And Elijah says, great, let's make that bet. And here's what we find out in this uh, next reading part here. I want to read this very clearly. Elijah says, you do that. And the Bible tells us That as he waited and waited and waited and as the (laughs) clock began to tick and keep going and keep going and as the hours began to stack up on top of each other Nothing was happening over here. Elijah was standing over against the tree, kind of leaning there. This is the New Texas version. It's in my head, okay? But he's leaning over there. He's like, hey, guys, uh, maybe you should speak a little louder because I'm sure he's a god, but he might be sleeping right now, so you may just kind of need to wake him up. And then he also says, or maybe he's just kind of stepped out of the heavenly throne room for just a few moments, but he'll come back, I'm sure, if you just yell loud enough. Well, the truth is is that the longer that it went, the more that the prophets of Baal got crazy. They began to take knives and even slice open their own skin to bleed to show Baal how serious they were about their request before him. But the Bible says that nothing was happening. As a matter of fact, let's read in 18 verse 27 through 29 that reading part one more time, just one back there. Uh, he says, Um, In reading part number three, Elijah says, shout louder. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder, slashing themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. And then midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered and no one paid attention. It is so interesting that they're doing everything that they possibly can to get the Baal's attention and yet it's not happening at all but then finally Elijah says is it my turn so it's my turn can I do this all right then it's my turn and then I don't want you to miss this don't miss this because this has a lesson for us in our modern world the first thing that Elijah does is he repairs and he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. That's what the scriptures say. It says he went over and he repaired and he rebuilt the altar of the Lord. He stayed way clear of that altar of Baal so that nobody could say when this fire fell that it was Baal. No, no, they had two separate altars, two separate bulls. They were making sure, and Elijah even went so far as to pick up 12 different stones, and I can almost see him in my mind's eyes saying, this is for the tribe of Gad, This is for the tribe of Asher and calling out the different names because the Bible says that he called them the 12 stones for the 12 different tribes of Israel. And so it was very clear that that pagan temple over there and that pagan altar over there was different than this holy altar consecrated for God to answer by fire. And so he makes sure that there's a very clear delineation between himself and what's going on over there. Now, This has ramifications for us in our modern-day world, and I'm going to be very personal with you and with me, because the truth of the matter is, is that I think in 2020, we as Christians are desperately trying to fit into a world that is not friendly to Christianity. We are desperately trying to be accepted by people who don't believe the way that we do. They are, they're desperate to push us to the edges and we're trying to make sure that we're fitting in. And So no, 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 don't, don't turn your back on us. Please love us. Please accept us. But the truth of the matter is is that this world is going away from God. And if we continue to stay so close to the world that we will be going with them and away from God, then we will find ourselves looking around going, I knew God was here for a little while, but now where is he? The truth of the matter is is that If the world does not love us, then maybe we are doing something right. Now, I want to be very clear. I don't want to be intentionally difficult to deal with. I don't want to be intentionally mean or rude or hateful or anything like that because none of that is an example of Christ-likeness. But here's what I would say if I'm standing and loving people and caring for people, but I am a person who proudly proclaims that I believe the word of God to be true and I follow Christ and Christ alone, then you will find that the world will leave you, the world will judge you, the world will turn its back on you, and you and I, we've gotta be okay with it. We've gotta be willing to say, you know what? You can turn your back on me, but I know that God has not turned his back on me. And most of us are so desperate that the world find us to be somebody that they like and respect and enjoy being around, that we've compromised the truth, and we look more like the world than we look like the church and the one who leads it. And so we've got to be very careful that we as the church are not simply saying, well, everything's fine. It's no big deal. We're just like you, except for occasionally we pray. No, no, no. That's not what God wants us to do. He says, I want you to be very clear about my expectations. You Love me first and foremost. You will have no other gods before me. Nothing else will take my place. I demand to be number one, and there is nothing else after that. I will be number one in your hearts. That's how you and I follow the Lord. We can't miss this. We can't miss this next thing that I want to make sure and and we understand. So as we read part four, there's a couple of verses of scripture that go next here. And here's what we see. He says in part four, uh, part A here, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Now, again, get it in your mind and kind of grasp the vision here. Over there, you've got... Hundreds of people going crazy, cutting themselves, rolling around, dancing, yelling, screaming, trying to get Baal's attention, and nothing is moving. It's dead silent and super awkward and weird, right? And then over here, you've got Elijah quietly going about the business of rebuilding the altar, and putting a trench around it. He goes so far as to put a trench around it and then he gets a large bucket or pail or barrel or something of that nature to hold water. Now, I don't know if they went to the sea that was very close to them, if they had some areas that were irrigated nearby. But it was a drought situation. It was tough to find water. But they found it three different times. Elijah says, "Come come and bring the water and pour it on. And come and bring the water and pour it on. And come and bring the water and pour it on this sacrifice one more time so much that it flows down off the altar and into the trench that is around that altar. And then Elijah says, Lord the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then let's go to the next verses. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, licked up the water that was in the trench around the altar. And all of the people saw this and they fell prostrate on the ground and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Wow, what an awesome thing that's going on here. What an incredible scene as 450 prophets of Baal screaming, doing everything they possibly can to distract their God and make him pay attention. And over here, Elijah puts together an altar that honors God, quietly prays a prayer, and then God answers by fire because he wants his people to turn away from their wickedness and turn back to him. And I wanna be very clear about something. Sometimes we, in our modern world, we listen to people that want to say that they've got some kind of secret formula. If you, if you pray like this, and then you hit your knees, and then you do these things, and you fast a little bit, and then you throw in a dash of the right words and use these certain phrases, then God has to answer your prayer. And I'm here to tell you that that kind of stuff is the kind of thing that I believe God gets mad about. And here's why I believe that. I believe God gets mad about that because it tells us that that we have to do the right thing constantly for God to show up and do what he wants to do in the first place. And I'm against that. I believe that God is God. And even when all I can pray is God, help me. He is able to reach down and intervene in my life even though I didn't say the right words even though I wasn't on my knees even though I didn't say the right phrases even though I hadn't give a certain amount of money to the church or whatever else that people put in line to get our prayers answered I think all that stuff is modern bunk but it is not biblical truth so just put me down in that camp alright as I look at as I look at Elijah he has a very very simple prayer and he says God let them know it's you and let them know that they need to turn their hearts back to you right now and god says cool here it goes you know i don't know how that came out did that come out good on youtube i don't know here i wanted it to be about four times louder and about six times more bassy but you know you know the fire just comes down consumes everything and all of the people fall on their faces and say you know what We've been for three and a half years calling out to Baal to say what he is the God of and he can't do it, but God answers by fire on one day and just one single prayer and boom, he is the Lord. It is amazing and awesome to see. Now, very, very quickly, I want you just to kind of look at this and I'm gonna move on and read this very last part here, reading part number five that I wanna share with you. It's up here. This is something that happens right before, because as you looked at I, um, Elijah coming back onto the scene, God says, Today is the day I'm going to show up and I'm going to let it rain today. I'm going to let it rain today. And so Elijah walks on to Mount Carmel knowing not only is he going to have a showdown where he gets to show the truth of the prophets of Baal, but he is also going to get the good news and be able to share it that today is the day for three and a half years we've been waiting on dew and rain. It's going to rain today at my word and at the word of the Lord that I'm speaking for. And it is an incredible thing. And here's what he says. The Bible tells us that he says to them, he has a servant and he says, go and see if there's some kind of cloud coming. And the Bible tells us basically that Elijah gets down and he's like in this position of prayer and like he's kind of curling in on himself and praying this fervent, earnest prayer. And as he prays this prayer, the servant comes back and says, "I I don't see anything. He goes, go back and look again. And he keeps praying and keeps praying. And he says, I don't see anything still. No, 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 go back and look again. And it happens seven different times that the servant comes back and says, I didn't see anything. And then on that seventh time, he comes back and he says, I look out over the sea and I see one cloud. It's about as small as a man's hand. It's the only thing I can see that God's moving. It's just this barely tiny little thing. And Elijah gets up and he walks over to Ahab and he says... You better hitch up your chariot because I can hear the sound of heavy rain. You need to get going now. And I mean, it's just like it gives me chills to think about what Elijah was saying because he had faith that even the smallest little cloud was the sign that God was about to answer what he had already said he would do. He's about to live up to his promises and he's about to make it happen today. And so the Bible tells us that there is three miracles here. First is that miracle of the, the, the coming of the fire that we just talked about. Now is the miracle of the rain that is about to come. So I've seen fire and I've seen rain, but this is another miracle. The Bible tells us that Elijah, probably wearing a, a flowing gown that would have been normal in that time, hitches up his you know, gown or whatever, and tucks it into his belt, and that he takes off running. And as he begins to run, he runs all the way to Jezreel. And as he runs there, he outruns the chariot. And so it may be as few as 13 miles or so, but Elijah has the miracle of the fire, the miracle of the rain, and now the miracle of the run as he runs in front of Ahab back to the city that he is going to. God keeps his promises and it is so important. Let me just say something real quickly. As we talk about this, let me just read this. The seventh time the servant responded as a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And then the Bible tells us that Elijah ran in front of him. Now, I just want to be very clear about something. There are promises that God's word gives us, and we need to be very careful and cautious. And Chuck Swindoll says some very interesting things about that. And I want to encourage you, if you're not clear on that, there are a couple of different types of promises in God's word. And sometimes we can take them all and say, these are all for me. But the truth of the matter is, is that there are some universal promises for all, and then there are some very personal promises, for example, whenever he tells, uh, you know, uh, the prophet uh, the, them to the children of Israel to dance around and run around the walls of Jericho then that wall will fall that was something that was very personal to that group of Israelites it doesn't mean that if we go around and run around a, a, a building or something and blow a trumpet that they'll all fall down but there are things that are universal that he says, you know, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you to his children. That's a universal promise. And then there's also the promise of God that is sometimes conditional or unconditional. And so if you're not clear, I encourage you to go back and read that. But for example, the Bible tells us that he says in his word, if you will confess your sins, then I will cleanse you, wash you, forgive you of your sins and wash you away from all unrighteousness. That is a conditional promise. We have to do something to move towards God, and then he will do all of the rest. And so as we look at these clarifying questions, if you're not sure what's going on, I encourage you, you can look into that because we do sometimes get a little confused that all promises are just always standing, always for us, and there's nothing that we've got to do except for just enjoy them. And that's not always true. Now... You may be saying to me, you may be thinking, well, what is going on here? Here's what I would say. As we look at Kings and James both in this passage of Scripture that is all about the promises, let's look very quickly as we look at uh, this next slide, slide number 30. And as we look at that and see it, we see after a long time, the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab and I'm going to send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. But then it goes on in James. It says, Elijah was that human being like we talked about. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And then again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain. It is so important for us to grasp and understand that God still uses his people to be a blessing and also to make changes in this world. And we desperately need them. Now you may be saying to yourself but randy i don't get it i don't understand i mean you're going on and on about you know what's so important and all these different things about who we follow and why we follow and it's so valuable that we put god and god alone first and have no other gods before me that's not my choice that's god's word but it's very clear that our world and even people in our church and churches and the capital c church universal need to hear and understand and grasp that who you worship and who you serve and who you live your life for matters. I want to be very clear about something. For many of us, we worship some very different things. We worship power. We worship possessions. We worship pleasures. And every time we do worship those things and pursue those things and make them the most important things in our life, they end up causing problems and taking us down the wrong path they end up scarring the people that we love the most and i could go on and on i mean think about this you think about this constantly People who are all about power, they have no use for their family. Or people who are pursuing pleasures, they could go and you know walk away from their family because they found something to be more enjoyable than doing the things that they ought to be doing, or people who would give away everything in their life just so they could possess certain things or give away time with their family that they could never buy back, that they could go and make money, and that's so important. We serve and worship these things, and as we not, as we do that, we find ourselves not anywhere close to being whole or full or satiated or happy we find ourselves instead still hungry and looking for something to fill us up and so here's what i would say bob dylan wrote these words called serve somebody all the way back in 1979 and he wrote these words it's actually on his greatest hits album he says these words he says you may be an ambassador to england or france You may like to gamble, you may like to dance, you may be the heavyweight champion of the world, you may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yeah, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. And then he goes on and on, he says, you might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage, you may have drugs at your command or women in a cage, you could be a businessman with some high degree thief, And they may call you doctor, they may call you chief, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. You're gonna have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you are gonna have to serve somebody. Now, I don't know about you, I don't think Bob Dylan is like my favorite artist or anything like that, but I will tell you something, he's onto something that all of us have found in our lives. We will serve something or someone And if we don't make it the Lord, then it all gets thrown out of kilter and all gets backwards. So I'm here to encourage you today, as I talked about Elijah building and rebuilding that altar, I wanna call for you to rebuild an altar in your heart to the Lord. Because for you and for me, we tend to drift towards this, where we drift away from God instead of drawing close to Him. You know it and I know it. And every time we begin to drift, it's funny because things in our life start falling apart and things that were good when we were in the right place in our mind and in our hearts, they start getting off kilter and out of of whack. But the more that we move back towards that thing that is centering us on God and focusing us on Him, things begin to fall back into place. And you know, as well as I do, that if we do not keep God here, something else will rush into that vacuum, amen? I mean, it does, right? If it's not God that we're pursuing, then something else will rush in. Good, bad, or ugly, something else comes. So here is what I wanna ask you. This is the big question that I wanna ask you. It's here on the screen and it's up here on this, uh, this slide. Have you been living your life as close as possible to the world but all the wild attempting to hold on to God. Because the truth is, is he said, you will have no other gods before me. You won't put possessions, you won't put pleasure, you won't put power, you won't put any of these things in front of me because I am God and I will not take second place. Even in this story, as we look at Elijah, he says, I'm drawing a line did you remember what I said and the words that I read? I wanted to make sure that you heard them word for word from God's word. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? The Bible tells us in Jesus' day when he was speaking, he spoke about it. He said to his followers, he says, no man can serve two masters. He will either love the one and cling to that one or he will turn his back on that one and cling to another because you cannot serve God and mammon is what he says, but basically it means the world's system. And for you and for me, we've gotta remember that we cannot love God and serve the world's system. We've gotta make the decision. This is my camp, this is my altar, this is my God and I will not walk away from the only thing that brings me wholeness And goodness and health on the inside and out and this is where God wants us right here at his altar and it is so important that we not turn our back on that thing which brings us whole so here is what you and I do to apply this message let's take a look at it Um, it's our apply by it says what area in your life are you wavering between embracing the Lord and embracing the world Here is what we got to know and have to understand. In our world, we can't keep wavering back and forth between these two opinions. We have to say, this is where I am, and I will not turn my back on the Lord that has saved me. So, again, I have to ask, are you a person who's desperately trying to hold on to the world? Or are you ready to walk away and say, I'm leaving all of that behind so that I might be found in the camp where the Lord is I'm here to say today, He is my God. He is the one. And maybe you find yourself today being a person who's walking away and walking in the wrong direction. Today is a perfect opportunity for you and I both to come back and say, no, 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 no more going away. I'm moving instead towards the God who loved me and who is going to change my life and pull me close to Him. Today, Lord, I pray that you would help your children to be called back. And in the same way that you were calling Israel to return to your altar and there sacrifice, their own will on that altar of following you, I pray that you would help us to sacrifice our own will to you and to you alone. May our knee only bow to you. And Lord, may you alone be the one that we love that we cherish, that we worship, and you alone are worthy of those things, God. And so as we today embrace you, forgive us for our wanderings, wash us clean, and put us back on that path where we will once again be where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. pray that if today you are needing to be returning to that altar where you know that the Lord is waiting on you, you will do that very thing that you will allow him to welcome you back with open arms and forgive and cleanse and put you on a brand new path. It is amazing to come before God unburden ourselves and walk away literally feeling physically lighter than we than we came in and uh, it is God that gives us that kind of forgiveness and change so, embrace that enjoy that and share that this week and uh, don't ever forget that no matter how far you feel you are from the Lord you are only the distance between standing and kneeling to come back and be forgiven in his presence I mean you kneel your heart uh, before him and he is ready to forgive so I hope and encourage you today that you will embrace it hey appreciate you guys having the uh, chance to come in and share with us I appreciate the opportunity to share with you from God's word is a blessing as always love you guys miss y'all over the next couple of weeks we're going to be talking about how we're beginning uh, things once again here and uh, reopening so we hope that you'll be paying close attention following along and making sure that you're ready to come back we're excited about seeing your beautiful masked faces and eventually the masks will be gone, we know. But until that time, we're anxious to see you in person and uh, we'll share a little bit more about that. We have a date in mind and we'll be sharing that in the next couple of weeks. May God bless you as you go your separate ways. Love you guys and miss y'all. And then we are always gonna end the same way. We have just heard God's word. Now let's go living. Y'all take care. See you later.